Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, SweetCode contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, this is episode 33 of Developers Eating the World, the very first virtual episode because we have a whole new normal standard of operating um, because we have a new normal and we're all working from home. Um, I'm joined with Melvin. Melvin, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm joined with Melvin. Um, and Melvin, how were you introduced to the podcast to begin with? Yeah, my buddy, uh Chris, we went to Turing um, around the same time together, and I saw that he was on your podcast, I think, the last Last, month, last episode, yeah. Yeah, so you make guest number four from the Turing School in Denver, nice. which is awesome. Um, you know, I tried to get in touch with him directly to, like, find people to, to chat with because I think the program is so cool, um, <laughs> but it's happening very organically, so that's cool. So tell me, are you a graduate of the program? I am. I graduated last February, like 28th. So that was fun. I just got done yeah. giving a talk at a Lone Star Elixir. And that was like a year to the date of like graduating. So that was fun. Nice. So, and what was your focus? Was it back end, front end? Back end. Yep. I went down the Ruby way, the reroute. I used to do some front end UI, UX design stuff back in the day, like 10 years ago and had a marketing company. And I did not miss that. And I knew I could teach myself the front end. So I figured might as well do the stuff that I don't know how to do. Um, not to say I was like super fancy at like the front end stuff or any of that. But I was just like, nope, I'm just going to learn about authentication and sessions and all that. That sounded a lot more useful <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's great that, that um, you know, what's interesting is when I've talked to people in the past about moving into the career of development there is this element of like you have to challenge yourself and you have to have grit um and obviously going through a seven month program you have to have a lot of grit so well, man, challenging yourself is, yeah. <laughs> yeah well tell me about it how was that yeah i was a cannabis farmer in northern california for like oh really oh we, <laughs> that's awesome that is, that is grit on a whole other level right there let me tell you because half the time we wouldn't have like plumbing or like electricity we were like out there like that was um the closest walmart was like three hours away wow so where in northern california uh we're up there willets and garberville area so in the emerald triangle so yeah right off the 101 um just probably three hours north of san francisco four hours north of san francisco yeah so yeah so the there. way the the part of northern california because most people think northern california is san francisco the part of northern california that yeah the part that wanted to secede right yeah <laughs> <laughs> i used to live in livermore so <clears throat> that's how i know about it so say say more about your career path how did you how did you decide this is the most unique to go from cannabis farming to uh, yeah. software developer. Um, well, went from marketing to cannabis farming to software developer. Was that the yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, honestly, it's I think it all started because of a girl. Like I don't know, back in when I was fifteen, I started to learn how to code and like playing around with it. Okay. Um, 
and then as far as like, all right, I want, I had a girlfriend and then I want, she was going to go to college. So the only way that was going to work was to work remotely. Um, so tech was the only way I could potentially do that. Interesting. So I ended up finding um, a couple of clients and my whole niche was like, kind of like Shopify. I used to help install Shopify apps for people's Shopify stores. Um, and that's what like kind of got me started. And then I got sick of that, broke up with a girlfriend and then went and followed my dream of growing weed in Northern California. So <laughs> did that for like almost a decade and then realized that I wasn't really learning too much. Like, cause after a couple of years of it, you're not really like, it's, you're not really changing what you're doing. It's pretty much the same kind of deal. Um, except more fires this time. Um, so yeah. after realizing I did not want to keep breathing in smoke and deal with rattlesnakes and all sorts of crazy stuff, I figured, oh, um, let's go back into tech because I like that. I got to work remotely. Um, so I started, I got in my van and essentially took like a year-long vacation, my first vacation in forever. Um, and just like travel the country, checking out different coding boot camps because I knew I wanted to go to one. Wow. Um, so yeah, after a while of that, I pretty much visited all my friends that I hadn't seen like in a decade. And while I was doing that, I was checking out different code camps and ended up finding Turing. And that one was the one that ended up winning. Um, so Turing not- brought you to Colorado then? Um, the girl did, sort of. <laughs> but Turing <laughs> why I stayed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, That's so... Because we're both... We're both um, escapers of of the california craziness but oh it's nuts out there it's nuts insane and even more insane right now oh that's cool so nomadic life for a while found the found the girl and the the coding school went through a seven month intense program Um, that was a vacation that was my vacation (laughs) (laughs) and now uh, an Elixir Pro. Tell me about Elixir. Oh, I wouldn't say Elixir Pro. It's just my, I'm a big fan of it. But Elixir is a functional programming language that is essentially a wrapper for Erlang. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Around with Erlang. Erlang was made by uh, Ericsson and Joe Armstrong back in like the 70s. And it's responsible for like 80% of the telecommunications on the planet. So like all those cell phone poles are probably running Erlang. So, but the thing is, a lot of people didn't like the Erlang syntax, so it's a little wonky to look at if you're not used to it. So, Jose Valim was essentially like, ooh, I like Erlang a lot, but um, a lot of people aren't going to like writing this. So, he made Elixir, and it's just, it kind of has like a Ruby-like syntax, which is kind of part of the reason why it looked uh, pleasing at first. I was going through Turing, learning Ruby, and then Elixir kind of looked like Ruby, but Ruby's object-oriented, and Elixir's not, so they are very different. Um, but yeah, it's got a lot of neat little things built in like pattern matching and then like, uh, OTP, which is like Olten telecom platform, which is like uh, a paradigm for dealing with like concurrency and like distributed systems. Um, uh, but yeah, that's kind of Elixir kind of in a nutshell. It's super fast. So that's a big reason why a lot of people like using it. Like in Ruby, I think on average you get stuff back in like 150 milliseconds, but Elixir you get nanosec or microseconds back. So it is like a thousand times faster. Um, and so, so, well, that's interesting because it's an abstraction yet of another language and you would assume that the performance would degrade. Yeah, like that, right? <laughs> but it's, uh, uh-huh. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Continue on that path. Um, I think, well, it's running on the virtual, it's on running on the beam. 
to the Erlang VM. And that was just like, that's been around since like the seventies. So they've had plenty of time to like optimize it and all that. So I think that's a big part that helps. Yeah. Benefit. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, uh, have, have you seen adoption pick up in like high performance computing? Cause a lot of stuff you've been talking about is very, sounds like very kind of computational benefits, you know, multi-threading, um, concurrency, all that good stuff. Um, it's kind of, that's an interesting one because actually Elixir is not the best for like heavy math computations because since okay. it's, you know, it's like underneath the hood, it's like making copies of everything it's doing. So it's like, if you have an array, it's going to make a copy of that array or the number, make a copy of that number, tweak that. And then, uh, holding all that stuff in the memory. Um, so Python and all that stuff a lot better for the number crunching yeah. aspect of it. But in terms of like figuring out if like, uh, a certain node is down. Elixir is really good at that because it'll just kill it and then start it back over pretty much automatically using all these supervision trees and um, essentially like managers, like these things that watch your processes and the process starts messing up. Then instead of like trying to debug it, they'll just kill it and restart it. And that's a lot easier. So let it crash is like the philosophy in terms of like when you're dealing with like uh, all of these like different processes and programs and things. So interesting. Yeah, I wonder how you would monitor that or if it's even necessary to monitor that. It's kind of how Kubernetes will, if you have wellness checks in Kubernetes, how it'll self-resolve. Elixir does what Kubernetes is doing, but I I think like the thing is OTP only really works with like physical machines. Like you couldn't do it in like a distributed cluster. That's why you need the Kubernetes aspects, but they do a lot of the same like kind of similar like aspects of things like, oh, uh, this thing, if this happens, then like go up or go down or destroy yourself or spin up a couple other new ones and do that. So it's kind of similar, but I think Erlang and all that only works on physical distributed or physical servers versus distributed ones, uh, but I'm not sure. You might have to double check me on that one. So, you know, I find it interesting that that's a pretty big leap, isn't it, from Ruby to Elixir? Um, I think it's easier than Ruby because um, it's functional, and I think functional programming is easier to learn than, like, object. For me as well, yeah. It makes well. way more sense for me. Like, I don't like the whole aspect of, like, instance variables in Ruby that I was just helping one, uh, somebody with a project yesterday um, and it was like a war and peace card game that they were building in their terminal. And, you know, there's instance variables in state living all over the place. And I have no idea what that any of that stuff's doing or like how it's being nested or there's no type checking or validations happening. So the variable names get all weird and wonky. And I think just with OOP, it just makes things a lot harder to debug because states getting shifted and shifted around and played around with versus like functional. It's like, everything's pretty much just reduce just like you pass your state along with the thing and alter that. And then that's the only place you have to look. You don't have to wonder about state in like seven files over just like changing something like, I don't know. It's that's one of the big reasons why I like it. So I don't think it's that much of a leap. Um, I think, I think during Turing, a lot of people don't like, don't learn multiple languages, but it's not true. Like on the back end side, a lot of people learn Python, and stuff on the side. So that was just the one that, uh, that I really liked. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Now, was there a catalyst for learning Elixir or, or did you kind of just say, once again, I need to challenge myself. I'm going to do something new. Um, I would say 
It was to get better at code challenges, I think. Like, I just, I don't know, in my ignorance, I just kept hearing like, oh, these are like functional problems that we're trying to solve. Like uh, in terms of like the technical challenges, like just like little random huh? code. Um, I just knew, or I was thinking like, oh, if I learn functional programming, then I'll be able to get better at doing these code challenges. And I don't know if that was a silly or naive thing to think, um, but that's what originally got me started in like wanting to learn something functional that wasn't like OOP. And then Elixir was just the first one, one of the first ones that I saw that kind of looked like Ruby. And then once I saw some of the pattern matching stuff, I was like, okay, I like this. This is kind of cool. I can nerd out. And then also too, the language is, mostly written in Elixir using macros. So like you could essentially expand the language to do pretty much anything you want. Like you could, you have access to like the apps X and X3 and you could like alter that. So you could literally, it's kind of like Lisp or closure in a way where you could just like extend uh -huh. it, like make your own language with it, like your own DSLs and stuff like that. Um, so that's super fun. Uh, it's a long time. <laughs> Lisp. Yeah. Did you ever get to uh, do you ever like work in that at all? Or like I've only just seen really it. Really long time. <laughs> when I you know, it was interesting when I started playing with like natural language processing and, and stuff like that. And um but no, nah, it's been a long time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what are you what are you doing now? What are you doing these days? Are you you're developing stuff? <laughs> what do you develop? Um, so I work with a currently work with a company called split gem it's like airbnb for like gym memberships but considering Ooh. all the wonderful things going on in the world right now um the gym world is not doing all that lovely yeah it's tough. Uh, so what is it um i've been essentially just like talking to a couple of different companies um trying to pick up different contracts on the side just in the meantime while yeah. uh things get better because uh, i really like the split gym team like I, they're super awesome and we're pretty I'd say we're pretty efficient. Like um, we get stuff done pretty quickly and all that kind of jazz. Um, but it's been fun to also like look for contracts in this whole like day and age that we are in now. I like your, I love your attitude. <laughs> it's so fantastic. You're just like, I'm going to go tour the world. I'm going to go and find gigs. It's been fun looking for gigs. I mean, that's the kind of attitude you have to have right now. Oh man. Um, stoicism. You can thank stoicism for that. So Marcus Aurelius and Seneca. I think that's the only way I can. I stayed sane during my job on man. Now. Oh man, like sometimes it just gets ridiculous. But um, oh, yeah, that's that's been pretty much it. It's been fun. I just actually before uh, our chat, I had an interview this morning. So I mean, there are people out there still hiring. There are companies that are still doing their thing. So well, thankful, you know, kind of thankful being in tech right now. I'm very <laughs> thankful about being in tech right now. I. Um, you see what's happening in other industries, like you said, the gym industry. And I, my our membership right here, I think they just closed the gym, and that's that's rough. Um, but also very curious about the type of innovations that come, both just you know supply chain, working from home, mm -hmm. but the dev industry. I think it's going to impact that a lot. Um, As it should. It's it's been fun watching all the videos of people like on the, the two separate camps of like remote work is awesome everyone should do it versus like this will never last this can never last forever um and that's been kind of interesting like i'm still watching i was on linkedin um somebody was talking about like their desk setup and how like they need to go get another monitor now 
because they didn't have extra monitors in their house and they're just hating life because they need to get another monitor. Because they, like, they only had three and they need a fourth. Okay, well, I did I did buy a monitor. I ordered it two days ago, a new one, and I went very adequate, you know, standard <laughs> ViewSonic. It was big. It was 32 inches, but it wasn't 4K or anything. Uh, no, uh, was, uh, was the guy had one monitor and was like getting his first extra monitor. Like he was just doing everything on his laptop. Uh, and then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just a really good excuse to go shopping. Which, yeah. yeah. <laughs> complain and then go and get excited for shopping. I mean, right now I'm working from my basement and I'll turn off my virtual video and prove it. Um, even though my Casa Bonita video is pretty famous. Oh, wow. Those are some max. Yeah, so I do have like an Apple collection. I know if you're listening to the audio version, you can't see it, but you can find the YouTube version too. And I got a dry erase board, so I got that. I'm working on a productivity thing because it's rough. What's that? Oh, always got to have the whiteboards. And are those the – is that the Macintosh 2? That's the Bullet. That? They called it the Bullet. It was the G4 – Stainless steel case. It's awesome. And then over on the back here, I got the plus. I got, um, <laughs> I got everything. I got everything. That's fun. Um, yeah. So, are you a gamer? I have recently gotten back into League of Legends, and okay. that's about as hardcore gaming as I've been in the past <laughs> couple of years. Because like canvas industry i didn't really get to game a lot because electricity we were running on generators so oh wow that, okay <laughs> oh yeah we we're out in the middle of nowhere like in, just in the middle of nowhere um so league of legends and then also uh i used to be heavy into metal gear and zelda back in the day um but now league of legends has been the thing lately it's been frustrating but kind of fulfilling so <laughs> it's a good way to pass the time yeah, you got to find a lot of distractions as well. For me, Final Fantasy VII is about to come out, the remake. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. It might, be, heard... it might vanish. There might not be any of the episodes for a good three months. <laughs> That's why I'm scared to play uh, Breath of the Wild. Like, I know as soon as I start playing that, it's over. Like, I will stop applying for stuff. I'll stop being productive. But I don't know. Yeah. That's a weird one because it's like happiness is a thing that helps with productivity. So, it is like playing so, like, makes me happy so like maybe it'll help me be better but also i don't know that's a tough one i mean there's a lot to that like just your demeanor right now is helpful to me because my my energy levels have kind of been tanking recently um and yeah i learn i think i learn more and get most of my ideas in conversations like this or con conversations that aren't directly related to what i'm doing like my task list stuff that has to get done so I think that's absolutely true. I think I come up with ideas when I'm playing Beat Saber. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so Final Fantasy VII. That was also around the time uh, Legend of Dragoon. Did you ever get to play that one back in the day? It's like, no. I think there were, it was a competing company that I was trying to like tackle with. Really? Down no. with like, Final Fantasy. <laughs> like, it was good. I liked the fighting system a lot better. Um, yeah. Storyline was epic, oh. but it's just like it did not go farther than that one game. Like, they just ran out of money or something. I'm worried that in the remake the, that the turn base is not going to have the same appeal that it did. It still does. still does. You ever play, like, Final Fantasy Tactics and all that? Like, turn yeah. base is still a thing. <clears throat> yeah, but I hope they don't ruin it is what I mean. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, because, no, I, I love I love the turn base stuff. I, 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 I mean, I was big into, like, yeah, I enjoy that a lot. 
Uh, all right, so we're going to play the game that I always play, which is the terminology game, or always I just started doing. But we're going to try something new because, you know, part of the appeal of this podcast has been the in-person background noise of a restaurant, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I want a new and new twist. So first starting with the terminology game, I'm going to give you three industry terms. Um, reason I do this is because I think our industry largely weaponizes terminology and we don't speak plainly about stuff. Um, so I'm going to give you three terms and you just give me your impression. It could be anything. Um, and then we'll do the next part. So first term observability. Observability. Yeah. Um, so like what that means to me or essentially. Yeah. What it, what it means to you. Um, if you already know about it, what, what you think about it. Ability. Um, the ability to monitor something. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Like in Elixir, we have Observer, which is a tool that we use to like look at our like process trees and all that. Okay. Um, so do you, do you spit out logs from Observer to any other place? Uh, just like to the terminal if needed, but for the most part, you can just look at it. It's just like a visual representation of your tree. Oh, okay. But it's like, it's got a bunch of different tools in it. It's like, it's been around for like 25 years. So it's like, hey. you can do some crazy stuff with it. Um, but that's what it, yeah, that's the first yeah. thing that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, so observability, I think, is one layer above pure monitoring focused more on actions and insights, I'd Ooh. say, um, but also super complex systems like Kubernetes and mm -hmm. microservices and so forth, and it has both depth and breadth. Yeah. Uh, all right, AI ops. Oh, AI ops. Um, so does that sound like DevOps for AI? So that's yep. my first. I mean, thought. that's that's the <laughs> definition that the industry is trying to shove down people's throats. Wouldn't that just be like just regular DevOps? though? like what what in the AI world would make Dude, it AI ops? Yes. So just the fact that you can intelligently automate stuff doesn't really have to be something new. Is the question. Now, the benefit of having that is that you can talk about the specific technologies related to that intelligence, but ultimately the purpose is just to make that stuff better, operations yeah. stuff better, which is still this DevOps. That's a fun one. I went to uh, DevOps Rockies or DevOps Denver last yeah. year for uh, like the conference thing. That was super interesting. Like their whole philosophy is just, like DevOps isn't like a team. It's like a mindset and like everyone should kind of be on board. And that was like an interesting one because um, I had never really like done any DevOps, but I ended up getting tickets for this conference and then went and it was like super interesting. Well, hope you, hopefully you come. I got rejected as a speaker for some reason, but hopefully you come this year, assuming that it, it still happens. Um, yeah, because I think DevOps, you have DevOps principles, you have DevOps practices. The principles, if you don't know which one you're talking about, it can get really confusing. So if you're talking about DevOps practices, they're pretty cut and dry. It's Jenkins, automation, um, testing, thinking about security, scripting everything that you possibly can. Then the principles are kind of like the stewardship that you bring to the rest of the team. So, you know, focusing on supporting re release velocity versus inhibiting it uh, in yeah. more like working together, heaven forbid, the culture term, um, which is the, yeah, which is, it, it's considered a dreaded term, but ultimately like it's extremely useful because it's a, I mean, 
culture exists no matter what and making sure that you have a deliberate culture that is focused on productivity is important. Mm. Productivity is an interesting one. Um, how do we define that? Like, uh, they're at the Lone Star Elixir um, conference this year. One of my buddies, Zach, he was also a Turing grad. He had a talk on uh, fun. On uh, The talk was called, like, getting the frog out of the well. Um, but this whole idea of, like, you should be having fun while you work, and if you're not, then you, you should probably talk to your company about figuring out ways to fix that because you'll end up making them a lot more money because right. you end up being more, more productive and all that, so... I don't know. Uh, I also think like having lazy people on the team is also great too because they'll figure out the easiest way to do something. They are the most productive people ever. <laughs> so, yeah, it is true. Like those who go rogue tend to be really efficient. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the military, they have this concept of like lazy and smart, and like one of the things they look for in their officers is like those two things. Um, because if you ever have like a job that's never been done before, who are you going to give it to? You give it to the laziest guy you could find or person you could find, and they're going to figure out the easiest way to do it. And that's like a thing they've been doing for like decades. Be lazy and smart. I'm going to jot that down. Yeah, I was just looking up the this event. I've never heard of it. Lone Star, Lone Star Elixir? Oh, it was, yeah. it was put on by Bruce and Maggie Tate um, from Groxio. And uh, Bruce is kind of a big dude up in uh, the Elixir world. He wrote the Phoenix book. And Phoenix is the framework for Elixir. Um, and all nice. the out of the stuff. Like he's been around for a while. Like it seems um, like a tight knit community. It's great. Like um, the Denver meetup's pretty popular. Like there's a good 20, 30 people. Um, but the language has been around only since like 2011 or 2012. So like Elixir's only been around like eight years, if that. Uh, but the community is still pretty strong. Like I think at that event, there's 200. 300 people give or take and then uh loan then there's the elixir elixir conference is the big one i think that one almost had like a thousand i'm not sure wow interesting it's nice like people that are like it uh we're coding in elixir seem to like it and it's i think on stack overflow the github survey one of them it's like in the top three like happy languages like people thoroughly enjoy happy like <laughs> I, yeah. did, did somebody actually do like sentiment analysis of languages yeah i think i think that's the thing i mean yeah in terms of like they go through and they get like i don't know they survey all of the posts and they were like i don't know might ask like how happy are you working in this language like i don't know or they might be doing some like nlp and just going through like commit histories and just like i don't know they might be doing some crazy stuff but i doubt it and you're giving me way too many ideas all right, so we're going to skip the last term because um, I want to move into the next part. So the idea of this next part, my tagline, my personal tagline is bad coder turned advocate. The reason I call myself a bad coder, number one, it's been like 15 years since I was a developer. Um, but number two is because I, I, I never kept up on the details of stuff. I was kind of always a Band-Aid duct tape type developer. So the idea of this was teach me to code. Um, so we take something very specific, design patterns, language stuff, um, and so forth, and you teach me to code. Obviously, it's better um, from the visual standpoint, but hopefully we can talk uh, through it. So first virtual podcast with this first teach me to code um, portion of it. So what, what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, um, we're just going to – I'm just going to show you a couple of, like, things in Elixir that I really like, essentially just like the pattern matching and how we could use that in like multi-clause functions. 
So essentially, cool. it's like a way of writing code that you don't need if statements and conditionals. And because I hate if statements. Like, really? I really do. Like I went down this like rabbit hole for probably like a week and a half, two weeks of just like learning the null object pattern that Sandy Metz is always talking about. Like in Ruby, where you're like, you make a null object and then that way you don't need ifs. Um, because I like to nerd out on stuff like that. And the and, number of ifs and cases <laughs> and switches that end up in my code is amazing. All right, I'm ready. Show. What is the easiest way? Um, so I got to share my screen, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. All right, one sec. Let me make sure I don't have anything crazy up. <laughs> uh, bum, 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 boom, close all these. Awesome. And then I got this. This is fine. We'll crop out while we're waiting. Actually, all right, and then share. Oh, and can you see my screen? Yep, pattern matching. Sweet. And I'll make that go over here. All right, so um, I'm just gonna go through this. This one, this this whole slide deck is probably like a year old. So I've actually been coding Ruby for like almost two years now. So any numbers that you see time-wise, like it's two years, not one. Um, but essentially I was coding Ruby for like a while and I was really liking it. Um, and then I've been learning, essentially how I've been learning Elixir. And there's two books that I highly recommend, Programming Elixir and Elixir in Action. Elixir in Action is a little bit more like intermediate and advanced. Like if you've been coding for a while, that's a good one to pick up. But I found a lot of people like the programming Elixir used along with the Elixir Action, like doing both at the same time. Um, but essentially, one of the things I noticed in functional programming languages, and we'll get to the, the pattern matching stuff in a little bit, um, but I just want to figure out to go through the whole slide deck. Um, was why was I having so much fun in Elixir? Um, I was having a lot of fun, but I was still coding Elixir as if like it was Ruby, and I was still coding things wow, like right? Ruby. It's rough. Yeah. It's weird at first because like at first yeah. it's like oh I don't have my instance variables, and I don't realize like how much I hate those things until like I I'm giving a different way of doing things without them, but. I was doing things like imperatively, like step by step, like very procedurally, like do this, then that, like in terms of like my code, I wasn't using that many abstractions. Um, so I really wasn't reaping the benefits of right, like, right. language because I was bringing a lot yeah. of stuff from like the Ruby land into like my Elixir stuff. And you'll see some of like my really bad Elixir code um, of just like me writing it like the Ruby way kind of, and then me fixing it to make it more look Elixir. And it's just like, it goes from like 150 lines to like 20 or something like that. <laughs> So, um, so a thing I like to talk about when discussing like pattern matching and all this kind of stuff is this whole idea of imperative versus declarative and imperative is like, imagine giving your Uber driver instructions like, Oh, and just you giving them step by step. I want you to take a left down 70, la da 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 versus declarative would just be like, bring me home. Like, I don't care how you get there. Just like, all I care about is like the end result. So that's super fun. Um, and I kind of like the idea of that, of this whole like, oh, just a black box. I don't care what it's doing really. I just care about the result that it gives me back. Because um, if I have to think about all these like little steps, like step by step, there's a lot of like, like mental overhead that happens when you're trying to keep right. track of where you are in something versus like, I just want to know where, what this result is. So for example, this is like a JavaScript example. Um, I got to update this. But the one on the left is like using a for loop um, to just essentially push uh, doubled numbers into like a new array. 
Um, and that is like very procedural, like, oh, you're, you're doing all the steps, you're declaring everything versus like map. That map is built in. You could just call map like, uh, and it does everything for you. Like you don't really have to like think about what the map's doing because you know it's you know what it's doing it's an abstraction you don't care about like the steps of how it exactly it might be happening so that's i think the biggest thing i got out of like starting to learn elixir is starting to think about things like in a declarative way of like i don't need to write out all the steps i can just like have the thing happen when i want it to happen or like use the tool that does the one specific thing instead of wondering how i'm going to get my state to a certain place like um, but yeah, but two abstractions that I really liked in Elixir with the pattern matching and multi-clause functions. So this is what really bad Elixir code looks like. So this is the test on the left side, and this is a exorcism. Um, and essentially all this is doing, is taking like an array, uh, essentially it's taking these strings. In Elixir, the single quote makes it a character list, so it behaves like an array. So it's not like, this is not a string. This is like a character list, like this G over here, um, which is like weird at first. So if you're coming from other languages, like yes, double quotes and single quotes are very different things in Elixir. Keep that in mind. That was a big thing for me oh, to realize. See, that those first. are the type of details which would jack me up so bad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is, a, this is technically an array, even though it looks like a string. So that's a thing. So this is the test. We have X unit. This is built in and it's for like your unit testing, that kind of jazz. But essentially what this is doing is depending on the string or the character that is passed into our two RNA thing, it should convert it to the DNA example or DNA. Are you doing it's genetic algorithms? Um, this is just like a, a, like an exorcism. So it's all it is is just like a, like a really basic like code challenge where you're just like, taking like a, a list of things and you're converting right. them to something else. Okay. So over here on this right side, we have this like two RNA where we're passing in the okay, DNA. Sure. And if it is a list, all right, we're going to pass it into our iter function down here, which does all of this like nasty, nasty, like garbage stuff. Whatever, right. And all of this. And if it's like a single freaking thing, um, if it's a single thing, then we're going to convert it and all that. And this is just like, there's a lot going on here that's just like, I am not a fan of. There's like, you have to wonder to like what's happening and all that which is not what we want. Um, I want it to be a lot easier than this, but this was like probably a week into me learning Elixir, give or take of me playing around and like doing okay, it. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. so the, all of that nasty code, this was like over a hundred lines, ended up turning into this, um, which is being six. Mm -hmm. So it's like six lines. And so this whole idea of like multi-clause functions is these functions have like very specific arguments. So this question mark thing is like, that's just to represent like the number value of it. It's like a weird elixir thing, but just imagine like that's just an A or a G or a T or a C. Like just the question mark's not really all that important right now. Um, so for example, on this two RNA function down here, this is taking just like our list or our multiple characters and then we're gonna map over those and then we're gonna call two RNA on this last uh, inside of our map function, we're going to pass in that element into there. And so what this is going to do is it's going to check the whole like file essentially for a two RNA function that matches the element being passed in here. So for example, um, if this E were to represent an A, it would find a two RNA function that has an A and it'll run that one. 
And then this way, like, I don't need to worry about like having an if, like if this is not the thing I want, like, no, these functions will only run when there's a specific argument passed. Huh. So it'll like, it'll try to find the argument that matches. So since this one on the bottom is very vague, that's like DNA is like our uh, variable that we're passing in. Um, that one's super random. So like if it doesn't match any of the ones up top, it's going to run our like generic one at the bottom. And our generic one is the one that's going to take our list and we're going to map over it. And we know it's going to be a list because we've essentially caught up, like made all our edge cases above. So if it's an A, it's going to turn into a U. If it's a G, it's going to turn into a C. T, it's going to turn into an A. And it'll just find the one that it matches based off like this. So imagine like this two RNA, the E, the E just becomes an A. It'll run the A one. And yeah, it's, this is the same um, solution or like both of these work, except this one is like almost a hundred lines and this one ended up being six. So like, that's the kind is of that stuff. what the map function does. Um, map is just like, uh, it'll just take, items in an array and you could just iterate through them like map will just iterate through items in an array and like do some sort of like uh either calculation or transformation and then return that like uh that new updated like uh, array. so it's like kind of like each but maps is kind of built in so like uh maps in ruby it's also in new javascript yes syntax i think but it's pretty like everywhere's but map is essentially just going to take our list over here so u g c a c c whatever and it's just going to iterate through these individual elements and I see. one at a time into here and it'll just like all right it'll run this and it'll find one that matches on and it'll just like do its conversion and add it to it. so that's that was the syntax the is funky you think so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like anything you get used to it i mean i i think i'm so like syntax related to java or dot net is much easier for me to consume but that's just a creature of habit stuff oh, that's why i struggle with ruby a lot i'm in the opposite camp like java and all that i just want to avoid as much as i can <laughs> yeah i get the benefits i totally get it um it's just you know, when things start to look like hieroglyphics, you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you get hung up on small things. That's the problem. It's like, um, well, this is cool. Well, thank you. Um, I get it. Uh, I, I certainly do. I'm trying to think of what design pattern this is similar to in the Java world. Uh, um, producers, maybe? Is that a thing you got? Uh, no, it's uh, composites or... Uh, I forget, but there is a design pattern where where it's similar. Where it's similar, um, I think exactly. it's composites. So by using composites, but the, but the thing with composites is you would have to build you would have to build the structure prior. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's not exactly the same. This is super cool. Well, I hope, um, thanks for being the experiment on, on doing this. Um, I hope that's useful. Where would people go to learn more from you? Um, because um, I think your journey into Elixir, if you want to become an Elixir developer, I think you have a lot to, to offer. Oh, for sure. Um, they can always feel free to email me, Sedino Gmail, or Sedino Melvin at Gmail, or LinkedIn, the Crafted Gem. I'm pretty much the Crafted Gem 
on everything. Like my GitHub is the crafted gem. LinkedIn's the crafted gem. Twitter's the crafted gem. Like that's just my whole thing. From my whole marketing days, I was. Yeah, there you go. You gotta gotta have a um, Reddit where you're talking shit about other things. Yeah. (laughs) All those kind of good stuff, which is funny too, because like I picked the crafted gem name before I even know Ruby was a thing. So I didn't know about gems. Oh, really? Just kind of worked out. Yeah, that's that that works out really nice. Well, that's good. All right. Well, you know, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being a part of the first virtual ever um, developers eating the world. And um, yeah, I mean, you've inspired me to go and do like a basics video on Elixir and understand the syntax a little bit better. Um, yeah, for sure, it's fun. It's a super fun language, um, and especially with like the framework Phoenix. Cause it's got this thing called live view now, which is like a thing they're trying to do. Like it's a way of render rendering HTML dynamically on a page using no JavaScript. So it's a, they're trying to get rid of JavaScript. Yeah. It's not like they're trying yeah. to get rid of JavaScript, but they're just like, no, we we can do this without it. And it's like, essentially they're setting up uh web sockets be, between the HTML and like the data in the database. So huh. if the data gets updated, yeah then it'll automatically change in uh, on the HTML and just like on whatever's being rendered, that'll be updated as well. So it's like a weird way that they're getting around it. Um, but it's super fun to like play around with it. But that's in live view and that's like a part of Phoenix. And that came out like a year, year and a half ago, like Chris McCord came up with it. So it's super fun. So if you're not a fan of JavaScript, there's a lot of things they're doing to try and change that. <laughs> yeah, that, that trend is... Uh... <laughs> That trend is interesting and definitely not a fan of JavaScript. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining me. And um, yeah, I hope to uh, be able to connect maybe in a year or so and and see if you're uh, either still developing in Elixir or or grown pot again. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) All right. Well, have a great day. You too. Bye.